Welcome to the latest episode of Running the Race Podcast, a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To find out more about First Baptist Church of Gonzales or for more episodes of the podcast, head on over to our website, www.fbcg.net slash rtr. Today's episode begins a new series on the prosperity gospel, the so-called health and wealth ministries. Our speakers today are Dr. Jim Law, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Church, and our Minister to Students, Alex Ray. This is Alex Ray here with Jim Law at First Baptist Church of Gonzales. And today, Jim, we're talking about a really interesting subject, which is the prosperity gospel. And we're going to spend a couple of uh, episodes, I think, on this, looking at it from a couple of different angles. But as we think about the prosperity gospel, first we need to think about some of the names that are associated uh, with right. this. And, and some names that come to my mind would be like Benny Hinn, uh, Joel Osteen, uh, Paula White, uh, Creflo Dollar, who's out of, out of Georgia, uh, of course, kind of Copeland, yes. making the round uh, over the course of the past couple of months with the coronavirus. In particular, and you know, Alex, as you mentioned these names, some would um, you know take real offense that we would even mention names like that. I think it's important um, that every faithful ministry have a, a polemic side to it. Hmm. Um, when you read the letters of the Apostle Paul, he was not afraid to mention names. In fact, in First Timothy, he, he mentioned Alexander and Hymenaeus, who he said, "I handed over to Satan that they would learn not to blaspheme." I think uh, also of. Um, uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who swerved from the truth, and so our, you know, our our mentioning these names of professing Christians um, is out of a sense of, of humility, but out of, also out of a sense of, um, uh, you know, a love for the truth, and we we see it uh, twisted and convoluted. Mm-hmm. And it brings a lot of confusion and deception, especially considering the the size of these churches of the of these these men and women who were the heads of these churches. Um, there's some of the, we look at the largest churches in America. Um, I mean, I think Joel Osteen, if I'm not mistaken, I believe had the largest 52, church, fifty-two thousand. Uh, yeah, think I read yeah, this week. and, and uh, in, at Lakewood Church in, in Houston. Uh, of course, we have T.D. Jakes as well. He's in, he's in Texas, um, Dallas, Texas, the Potter's House. Um, and there's a number of these guys. When we look at these, so these, these aren't small fish. These are really big mm-hmm. uh, names and very influential. Uh, they have a very wide reach, and it's because of the, their wide reach, and because of I think of the implications as well of what they teach that it, it really should give us pause and maybe give us good, a good warrant to have this discussion and and have this conversation about what they teach and what they um, promote. And so as we think about this, I think the important thing is for us to, um, at the outset, before, and I want to hear your thoughts on, on their, their teaching of, of health, um, it really, it's not just what they reject, but specifically what they're, what they're affirming. What are they adding on? What are they saying that maybe should give us so much pause? And so I'd like to hear your thoughts. What, what are your thoughts on, when you think about the prosperity gospel and its emphasis on health, what, what comes to your mind? Well, when I, when I think of uh, the twisting of Scripture for uh, their purposes. Um, the health and wealth and prosperity gospel really is nothing more than using a formula, in this case, uh, a pa- partial scripture verse, using a formula to get what you want from God, whether it's healing or wealth or uh, prosperity or success. And biblical Christianity is uh, God uh, empowering the believer uh, to walk by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And that's not without suffering. That's not without trial. That's not without battling what it means to live in a fallen world. 
So it has a, a strong um, flair to the American mindset um, because of the affluence of our culture. What, what really makes me sad, uh, Alex, is, is how this is exported to the nations. Right. I, I read uh, this week that um, in Nigeria, 96% of those who profess belief in God either completely agreed or mostly agreed that God will grant material uh, riches if they have enough faith. And that would certainly apply to their view on healing and health. Um, and it is just really, I think, at the core of it for me is how they take Scripture and make it a formula by which God is um, obligated to do whatever you tell him to do. Right, right. And that really pertains, uh, that applies as well to its emphasis on wealth. And we'll get to some of the Scripture verses that are used in just a moment. But I was reminded uh, by T.D. Jakes who said this. He said, if you obey God, you will never be broke another day in your life. Yeah. That's quite a statement there, and, right. and that kind of goes back to this formula, uh, this formulaic relationship where if you obey, if if then it's conditional. If you do this, then this will come. And so, if you obey God, then you will never be broke. And, Which really sets a, a lot of people up for a, a great disillusionment and disappointment when these things don't come to pass. Right. And what's infuriating is that these ministries profit from uh, those who offer these seed gifts um, to these ministries, and they're living in the backwash of, um, of um, un, unfulfilled expectations. Or right, and, and that's a really important thing, this idea of the, the seed gift, that was this, this idea of seed faith theology that um, this was popularized by Oral Roberts in the, um, in the 20th century. Uh, he's really kind of the father of this, uh, from my understanding anyways. And this idea, would, and you would quote uh, Genesis 8, uh, verse 22, that in the beginning God said, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. And so this idea was that if you if you sow a seed, and usually in most cases it's something of a financial sort, if you give um, this person money, then God is obligated, I think you're, to use your word there, I think you're right, God is, ob- he is going, he is bound by this seed to give you a harvest. So if you plant a seed in the ground, um, you will have a harvest later on. And so if you plant a, a financial seed in somebody's ministry, then God is going is bound to give you a harvest by, by the law of the seed. That's, that's the phrase they'll, that they'll often use, like Mike Murdoch says that kind of stuff all the time. Uh, God, God is going to give you a harvest of more money. And so there's, there, again, it goes back to a formula. So if you want to see a change in your life, this the idea goes here. If you want to see a change in your life, you've got to use your faith to plant a seed if you plant a seed in faith, then God is going to give you a harvest. He's going to give you a miracle. Uh, Richard Roberts would say this as well. He would say, when we put our faith in God's hand, like a seed that we plant, we are giving God something to work with, and he will send the miracle that we need. You know, just looking at the theological foundations of what we are talking about, David Jones and Russell Woodbridge in their really helpful work, Health, Wealth, and Happiness, uh, has the prosperity gospel overshadowed the gospel of Christ. Uh, they, they talk about, um, you know, just some theological foundations um, in, 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 their, in their work of the um, Word of Faith movement, uh, the health and wealth, prosperity, just a distorted view of God. Right, he be, he becomes a genie that you rub the lamp to get whatever you want, and elevation of mind over matter. So you're bringing in um, this um, psych, uh, humanistic uh, psychology uh, to bear on how you relate to God. Uh, it, I'm I'm just taken back too by the exaltation of um, of of humankind. 
right. exaltation of the per, how how me focused it it is, and just looking at Joel Osteen's um, um, the title of, of of three of his books, for instance, your best life now, not a bestseller, uh, become a better you, it's your time. I mean, you really have a hard time uh, anchoring that into the call to uh, of Jesus, where he says, "If anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross daily." That means dying to you, right? And um, and following me. Um, it's it just is, um, you know, again that formula that leads you to fulfill whatever you want to do for. Right, and and that Your distorted happiness. view of God that you mentioned—that's something we're going to touch on in the next episode on this um, this this series on the prosperity gospel. But it's really founded on the idea that that we are all little gods with with a with a locate G, little gods. The little god doctrine, something that's very uh, fundamental and foundational in yeah, the from Psalm uh, eighty-two and that reference that Psalm eighty-two and Jesus references that and how they miss the whole point of the psalm. Right, right. That and and that that's her because and the idea that because you are a little god, you can do what God does. You can have the stuff that God does. You can do what He does as well. Uh, he didn't. God doesn't get sick. So you, you shouldn't be sick. God doesn't need anything. So you shouldn't need anything. And so that'll be something that we touch on again in, in the uh, more more in depth on the next uh, episode. But when we think about this. Uh, for our topic today, what scripture have you seen them uh, those who who would promote the prosperity gospel? I think it really um, doesn't take long at all before we see that the scripture that they use when, when we examine the proper context is not what was intended. Yeah, I think that's a that's a common pattern. It's just to see how hermeneutically flawed their interpretation of scripture is. Uh, Hank Hanegraaff um, rightly calls prosperity preachers' use of the Bible as script torture. Mm. <laughs> script torture, um, and his book, uh, The Osteenification of American Christianity. And so he, he says of Osteen in particular, his unsubstantiated stories, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. His torture of scripture, that's quite another. Right. And um, I, I would just maybe throw out a few, um, Alex, for us to talk about and how they'll take a passage of scripture out of context and personalize it for, for a life motto. For example, Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, Mm -hmm. which is a messianic prophecy that Jesus uses to, um, uh, at the time of his earthly ministry, launching his earthly ministry. And so... Uh, Joel Osteen um, would take that verse, has taken that verse, and teaches it this way, that God is a faithful God. The promises he He put in your heart, that you will be healthy, that you're going to come out of debt, that your family will be restored, that you'll have a supernatural year, as he talks about uh, from Isaiah 61.1. Right. Uh, God has every intention of bringing this to pass. He is called the author and finisher of our faith, and God will never start something he cannot finish. Right. So this is totally man-centered, taking this verse that is a prophecy commemorating the uh, earthly ministry of Jesus and turning it into a personal manifesto is just um, a, a twisting of what it means. So you're, you're saying I shouldn't take Isaiah 61 and make it all about me? No. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's reading the Bible where you're, you're the hero of every story. You're right. David in the Valley of Elah uh, who slaughters Goliath. Right. And my, and my boss is my giant and... and yeah, you're you're not David, right? I'm right. not David. Yeah, a verse I've come I've come across pretty often is uh, uh, Third John two, which uh, is where, a beautiful verse, Alex. <laughs> it is, it really is. And it says, "Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you be in good health." 
had to go well with your soul. And I've lost count of how many times I've seen uh, prosperity gospel uh, preachers um, use this verse. And it's my understanding of it where that in when it was originally written, it's more of just a common greeting that it was just, hey, I, I hope you're doing well. It's good to see you. Uh, I hope that you are um, doing okay. It, that it was a term of endearment, a phrase of, of endearment, I guess. Um, but it wasn't uh, the way I use it. I, I often see it with those in the prosperity gospel camp is that um, because it says you, you, you be in good health, that it, it's an automatic that you ought to be healthy. And if you are not healthy, then something, uh, you're, you're doing something wrong. Ultimately, right. if, we're, if we're that line of thinking goes, how would you explain that verse? Um, yeah, I, th- where John is, uh, you know, just expressing to those who received his letter and under his ministry that he's, he's praying God's, God's goodness to them, uh, that it would go well with their physical body uh, as well as with their soul. Mm-hmm. And I, whenever um, I'm writing a letter to a member of our church or somebody who's struggling uh, in health, that, that's what that's a verse I share with them freely, mm-hmm. and that we should pray when we have health needs. And you, you know, right now with this COVID nineteen, that it's impacted our body uh, significantly in the last yeah. um, six weeks. And in fact, we uh, just um, buried a brother who battled valiantly um, with the virus, and we prayed, Alex. We pray that God would would cause him to rise and walk. Right. And uh, he did not. Does that mean that we didn't believe God enough? Uh, no. I, I, we, we, we default to God being sovereign, that he knows the number of days that we're going to live on this earth, and we rest in that. Um, so we are to bring our needs to him, but he's not a formula that we can play like a genie in a, in a bottle. And so um, yeah. I, I think it's a... A flawed view to take that verse and um, uh, mean that you and I are never going to get sick. We're never going to have to battle with cancer. We're never going to have viruses. Uh, that's not what it's saying, right? And, and that and that kind of goes into another verse that I often hear, and you probably heard this one too. Isaiah fifty three, yeah. uh, verse five, we're talking about um, what we, we would say as Christians, just talking about. Um, this is fulfilled in Christ, but that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him with the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so I will hear that one used uh, all the time as well, that, that, right. God, that God had bought your healing. You are going yeah. to be healed. But if you look at that, those verses uh, carefully, it, the emphasis is not on our health, it's on our transgressions and our sins. Right. That he his healing comes in being the savior and redeemer of sinners, by which um, our sins are paid for, and that we enter into um, a relationship with God. We're reconciled with God by faith in Christ, and so to say that this is a blanket promise for all uh, all healing under any circumstances because I demand it is a misuse of Isaiah fifty three over and over and over again, and minimizes uh, the thrust of it, which is that um, uh, that this is speaking of the atonement, of how we are made right with God through right. Jesus Christ alone. Right, yeah, and then on, on this, and with this verse in mind, I came across uh, something kind of Copeland said this, and this is really interesting. He said this, healing always comes, always comes where faith is loosed. Physical, mental, and emotional healing are always God's will for you. It is not now, nor will it ever be God's will for anyone to be sick, weak, hurt, or broke. You know, that's just less than sober. I mean, to say something like that is just to like live in an alternate universe. 
Like, how, how, like think about somebody who's suffering and, and you read something like that from Kenneth Copeland. You know, how, how did that administer to someone who was in the midst of a flood right. or um, losing a loved one to COVID-19 or, I mean, any kind of suffering at all? What, what kind of message would that be? to someone in the middle of a trial like that. If, if you if you go to them and say, hey, it's always God's will for you never to be sick. And so then, so then the implication there mm. is that you're doing something wrong. Right. You don't measure up. You don't measure up. You it's don't have a condesc- faith. It really is condescending as well. I mean, that you would have the audacity to know, um, you know, what that person thinks or believes or is right. committed to. And then unfortunately it also kind of goes into, okay, well, but here's the answer, and the answer is if you sow a seed of faith, and the wink wink of that is usually you, you, you give me money, the, then God is going to bring you out of that debt. I think the COVID 19 um, pandemic has really brought to the forefront, too, the, the sham of the, the faith healer um, claims. I mean, with so many opportunities to, to heal. Right. You know, um, and I think that really goes to the heart of the difference between what they're claiming they're doing and the healing we read about in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Right, and, and Kenneth Copeland, uh, to my knowledge, has gone on record twice since COVID started and spoke it out of it. He, he said, he decreed it, that it is no longer here. He did it twice, and I believe it was back in the spring and early summer that he did that. And of course, we know that it's still here. And so that I think that raises some interesting questions for anybody who follows him or follows his teaching. Here is someone who professes to have a word from God under the authority, the, the alleged authority of God, to declare that COVID-19 uh, be done with, and yet it's still very much here. Um, and so how, how, do we, how do we understand or support someone like that who speaks those kind of words, and yet it doesn't come to pass? Yeah. Well, I think uh, we get a lesson from the Old Testament, which was written for our learning and instruction, that anyone claiming to be a prophet who would utter prophecies, if it didn't come to pass, they had a free escort outside the city and they stoned them. Right. Um, uh, You know, I just think these are uh, examples of why uh, discernment is so important in the in the body of Christ. And, you know, I think that really goes to, Alex, to uh, why are these arenas packed? Why why are they packed? And I I think Second um, Timothy chapter four uh, really goes to the heart of it. Is that uh, it's a judgment? People want their ears tickled. Right. It becomes really a, a form of religious um, entertainment. And Second Timothy four for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Right. We don't want to come in and listen to an hour long exposition. We don't want to listen to reasoned arguments from the scripture. We're not interested in a hermeneutically sound message. Uh, we want to have our ears uh, uh, tickled. We want to accumulate teachers to suit our own passions, which I think is instructive when you look at the motivation of the health and prosperity gospel. Right. And, and I think as we continue to think through you know, how we move forward about this, it's what I often hear those um, who maybe support this idea, they'll take it the opposite way. They'll say, okay, well, you're just saying that that a true Christian should be absolutely broke and should have a terrible life. We're not saying that. We're just trying to put the the, the right emphases in mind and have the right priorities in mind. I came across something that uh, Osteen, again, he said, but you, he said this, but you've got to fight a religious spirit that said you're supposed to be poor, broke, and defeated to show God that you're really humble. 
No, when you're poor, broke, and defeated, all it proves is that you're poor, broke, and defeated, and it doesn't bring any honor to God. And he goes on more and said that we're not necessarily we're not saying that we have to have these terrible lives. We just want to put the right emphases in mind and have the right priorities and not make it so much about what can I get out of God. And that's what I think that's that maybe one of our main caution uh, about this message. And so when we think about the implications of this view, I think one of the things that we can think about as well is that when you think about the the history of all these proponents, they 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 would say one message like it's always God's will to prosper you. You're supposed to have a good life, a materially good life, and if you don't, then you're doing something right or excuse me, something wrong. You have somebody like Oral Roberts. Uh, Oral Roberts had a he had a very difficult life. It was not all cupcakes and rainbows all the time. Mm. I mean, he lost his daughter and his son-in-law in a plane crash. Yeah. Uh, one of his sons committed suicide after a, a public battle with drugs. Uh, he, uh, Or Roberts himself uh, actually died from complications with pneumonia. He had a very difficult life. And so on one hand, he's saying, he's he going around telling this message that it's always God's will for you to be healthy. You're pro- you, you, if, you, if you sow a seed in my ministry, God's going to prosper you, so on and so forth. And this, this by the way, this is the message that his son, Richard Roberts, is still very much carrying on on late night television. But it's not, it, we should consider the track record. The track record, uh, I think it's very telling. And so I, I would say that if we think about the um, implication of that, again, track record is important, the implication of what they're teaching is important. Um, what would you say, to, to, we're talking about what not how not to look at scripture, what would you say the biblical view of, of the of health and wealth in particular. Yeah, sure. Um, just looking at health, we, we're uh, that God is the one who's given us the breath of life and that we're to be stewards of our body. And uh, yet we live in a fallen world that groans and the curse of sin has made us susceptible to sickness and death. And yet at, at the, you know, as we process that, we, um, uh, we, you know, are, we're required to, um, be good stewards of the life that God has given to us, but that doesn't mean we're not going to get cancer. That doesn't mean we're not going to get sick, and um, that we trust the Lord to sustain to sustain our lives. Um, and you know that our confidence is in the Lord. Not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. Uh, Romans fourteen seven through nine. And so I think that's the proper view. I think Third John 2, rightly understood, is uh, where we need to go, where John, uh, in his um, uh, wisdom, uh, just said, I pray that all may go well with you right, and that you may be in good health uh, as it goes well with your soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think regarding wealth, you know, What's the biblical worldview concerning wealth? You know, you mentioned uh, Joel Osteen a moment ago. Paula White comes to my mind. She said, God is not magnified when you're broke, busted, or disgusted. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly we have responsibilities to be steward of the things God has given to us. Um, I, but I think the prayer of Agur comes back again in Proverbs 30, where he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Right. I don't want to be poor lest I'm tempted to steal and dishonor you, and I don't want to be so rich that I come to the point to where I forget the Lord. So give me my portion. Give me my, give me my portion. 
And I think that's a, a healthy way to, to look at it. So I'm reading Randy Alcorn's book, Happiness, right now. And he said that God is never obligated to do as we ask. Uh, though we're free to ask him to deliver us from difficult or painful circumstances, the final outcome of every situation is solely in God's hands. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Right. And I think that's the proper place to, uh, for us to stand uh, in light of God's sovereign grace and mercy. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Running the Race podcast. We hope you'll join us again in a couple weeks for our next discussion. And don't forget to share the podcast with a friend you think might find it helpful. Until then, you can visit www.fbcg.net for more information about our church and ministry. And again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.